Mark chapter 8, 34 through 9, 1. I want to welcome every single one of you here. I am glad that you are here. Um, I, I, love, I love this church, and I love what God is doing um, through this church. This week, I had the privilege of attending, for the very first time, a hoose cow. Um, a hoose cow, just in case you don't know, which I'm sure you probably do, you can look it up in a dictionary, is a gathering of wood carvers. And um, I had this amazing privilege uh, to be there, and, and, and I was learning some things. I don't think I'm going to pick up wood carving anytime soon. Um, but this week I also attended a football game at our local high school, Crosstown Rivalry. Um, this week I was at a golf course to golf. And also, I had lunch um, at a restaurant one time this week. Do, do you realize this? Every single time, every single one of those places, I met people from this church, okay, or saw people from this church, and every single time, every single one of those places, I, I was told and I was introduced to people that... that that relationships are being made with. Every single one, different setting, teachers and coaches and students and players at a football game, um, at a who's cow carvers, at a restaurant, someone close by, sitting close by, and, and they would tell me, I'm, I'm, we're praying for him. We're praying that, that he comes to know the Lord soon. We're praying for his soul. Do you realize how encouraging that is, we build relationships, what? So that God is glorified first and foremost. As we seek to fulfill the vision that God has given to us, we build relationships, what? So God is glorified and lives are transformed, literally changed through the good news, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let, me, let me commend you for doing that. Those of you that are working diligently at building, what? Meaningful relationships to share the good news. I am proud of you as your pastor. May you continue to do that. Now, this text this morning, um, it terrifies me. This text will rattle the very core. It will rock our soul as we strive to be obedient. We strive to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. This is not like maybe, kind of, I'll be a follower. No, this is, this is, we are all in, or you're not in at all. What I call following Christ, the hardest, the hardest, but also the greatest thing that we could ever do. Let's bow our heads. We need the Lord's help. I need the Lord's help as we examine this text, as we listen to what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence in the name and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, our heads are bowed before you to recognize your authority and to show our submission to you. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you reign and rule over everyone and everything. Lord, I, I love your words that you've given to us, and I pray right now for these few moments that we have now to, to listen, and may your spirit enable us and quicken us, embolden us, empower us so that we learn to follow and follow well. 
Lord, I pray for this community. Um, it, it is an amazingly beautiful community, and it's filled with many people that are lost. I pray, Lord, for my brothers, pastors in this community that I know are preaching the gospel. I pray for Scott and Josh and Nathan and Chad O. I, I just pray, Lord, that you'd give them boldness. Um, help each church, help us to understand our role as, as part of moving forward. Uh, your kingdom for your glory. Just help us to be obedient. Uh, Lord, please, at this moment, please guard and guide my mind and my mouth. Lord, please protect me from saying anything that would not bring glory to your name. Open our, our ears now to hear and our eyes to see. We ask this in Jesus' name, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, last week we were together. Um, we talked about the fact that the disciples, literally the word translates the, the learners of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, were actually beginning to get it. They're understanding with their mind, they're seeing with their eyes who Jesus is. They're, they're finally beginning to get This is the promised long awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. This is the Son of God, God in flesh, the ruler over everyone and everything. He is the King. They also were beginning to get for the very first time, not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus must do in order to fulfill his ministry, his mission. And, and Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. And eventually I'm going to be killed. They, they didn't like what they were hearing. Matter of fact, Peter spoke up against it, and Jesus had to rebuke him. But this, this is what must happen. This is what Jesus must do. Now, now, this week in our text, we're not just going to see what Jesus must do. We're actually going to be confronted with what you and I must do in order to be followers. This is what it looks like. You want to call yourself Christian, one by Christ. This is what it looks like. This is what we must do. Jesus is what? He says, I am a king, I am the king, and I am heading to a cross. If you want to follow me, really, then you must be willing to go to the cross as well. Well, what, 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 what is it that Jesus means by that? Here it is. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself speaking. Mark chapter 8, we pick it up in verse 34. And, and calling the crowd to him... With his disciples, he said to them, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit or lose his own soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God 
after it has come with power. Now, let me just preface, before I go any further, when we hear words like follow me, lose my life, willingness to lose my life for the gospel, please don't like check out like, yeah, I, yeah that's too much for me. I just can't do this. I, I've, I've really tried. This is really hard. And what happens is that there's a sense of guilt, like this is just too much for me. I, I just, I, I'm nowhere. So we kind of check out. Dude, don't, don't. Okay, we don't work by guilt. We work under God's grace. Grace is from this moment forward, which means whenever we hear the word of God preached, we have an opportunity to redirect our thinking, to refocus, Lord willing, to repent from the times that we have chosen not to follow him. That's the value of this word. Not, not guilt, but grace. Here it is. Everything hinges on this text in verse 35. Draw your attention to this. It's, it's referred to as an oxymoron. It appears like a contradiction. Jesus says this in verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will, will save it. Well, what, what does Jesus mean by this? This word life that is used twice here, repeated is the Greek word psyche, where we get our word psychology from. It means what? It means your identity. It means your own personality, your selfhood. It, it's what makes you distinct, what makes you unique, what makes you, you. Now, please understand that Jesus is not saying you must lose yourself, your identity, in order to find yourself. There's this whole kind of false thing thinking philosophy from Eastern mysticism that what you kind of sit cross-legged and, and hum with your socks on and mm, I just have to lose myself no 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 we're not talking Jesus is not talking about that that's wrong teaching that's bad doctrine bad theology what Jesus is saying to his learners to his followers to the crowd to the disciples that are close is this, I don't want you to build your entire life, your identity on gaining and getting things like the world or things that are in the world. Now, we live in a, a culture, we live in a particular context. You'll notice that different cultures throughout the world will tell you what you need to gain or what you need to do, what you need to achieve in order to be recognized, in order to be successful. There are several, um, if we go to the Far East or you go to Middle Eastern cultures and even some cultures in Central and South America are very, very traditional cultures which means they're based in family. If you gain the respect of your family, which is your parents and grandparents and your aunts and uncles, if you protect your own identity, your own legacy, you pass on your heritage and your traditions to your children, your grandchildren, then you are successful. You have to do this, preserve this. Now, now we live in a less traditional culture. We live in, in a very individual individualistic culture in a very what in a very influential American culture that says you're a nobody unless you gain and you get certain things a career and you have an established what reputation that brings affluence or influence possessions things status reputation that what 
cultures will tell us, and we live in a culture that says your identity is based upon your performance, upon your achievement. And Jesus says, no, no, actually it doesn't work like that. He corrects this thinking. He says that idea will not cut it. If you're building your identity on your family, we're just a really, we have a great name. If you're building your success, your identity, on your career, your education, on stuff, shiny things that we collect, our home, even our own body, or looks, or appearance, or appreciation, or admiration from others. If you're going to build your identity on that, Jesus says this, it will not last. It will not last. He actually uses the phrase, he says, whoever would save his life. You, you, you want to try and save your life? You want to protect and invest and pour everything into what you being held in this comfortable, cozy, kind of bubble-wrapped life? He says what? That you will lose it. You, you will lose it. He says you will not live. On the flip side, in the opposite, he says, but whoever loses his life. For my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Jesus is saying what? If, if you follow me, you've got to be willing to cut the tethers from this world and from this context and from this particular culture. You've got to begin to think differently, radically different. You're going to follow me. You, are, you become completely unleashed and what I call unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you will live. Now, how hard is that? Following Christ is the hardest and greatest thing that we could ever do. Many people don't realize, like, yeah, I, I, I'd like to be part of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to be one of those. They don't realize what Jesus is saying. Jesus is to die. He said, if you follow me, then you must be willing to die. Matter of fact, he adds to this, and he says, what, in verse 36, what does it profit a man if you, if you get it all? What good is it if you gain the whole world and you forfeit or lose your soul? Do you see why Jesus' teaching is so radical? It is so different. It is so, what, piercing and lasting. And what some people would say, so crazy. So what Jesus does here is he teaches us, okay, so you want to follow? How do we do this? How do we follow? Number one, we deny self. Two words. You think it sounds pretty simple, but deny self actually can be tough to understand. To deny self does not mean to deny things. Okay, so I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to like live naked in a tree, you know, one with. No, no, we're not talking about that. Nor does it speak about self-denial. A lot of people are in what? To self-denial. I'm, I'm, I'm going to refrain from doing this. I don't do certain things. I don't party. I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't get drunk. I've, I've, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never stole anything. I've never killed anyone. So we have this idea that says, I'm not going to do certain things. I'm a good, clean, moral person. And as a result, we end up actually bragging and boasting about this these little, what I call, bursts of holiness. Yeah, I actually helped the little old lady just rake leaves the other day. It's amazing. I felt so good. Doing good things will help you feel good for a period of time. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not what Jesus is talking about. A lot of people are practicing self-denial 
but they haven't denied self. What, what, what does it mean? What does Jesus mean? It's the word, what? Par inamai. It means to, to claim no knowledge of or relationship to. The word deny. To deny means that we deny our self-will. To deny our self-righteousness, our self-sufficiency, our self-authority. To deny self means that we come to a place where we understand and we admit the fact that there is absolutely nothing here that I rest in or trust in in my own strength. Which means what? Everything that we would celebrate as a success in our life company comes over and you dust off the trophies that you won when you were in junior high and and you have like things hanging on the wall to direct people's attention that you won the perfect attendance record in Sunday school or scripture memory award or, or there's little subtle reminders that direct people's attention to the scholarship that you won to, to university or the achievements, or the accolades. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a couple years ago. Let me tell you about what I did. No, 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 what Jesus is saying, he, he said, it's none of that. Instead, we realize what? We set every human success aside. And we come to a place where we say, Lord, it is all you. It is only your grace. It is only your grace that gave me the ability to walk up and stand on this podium for that little silly medal to be put around your neck. It's only your grace that allowed my hands to move to throw a ball. It's, it's only your grace that, that you gave me this voice to proclaim your glory. It's only your grace that allows my lungs to fill up with breath in order to speak, it's only your grace that, that sustains my heartbeat. God, it, it has nothing to do with me. And it has everything to do with you, God. I deny self. Warren Wearsby says it like this. To deny self is to give yourself wholly to Christ and to share in his shame and death. Well, that's like totally what we don't want. Like, Lord, I'll follow you as long as, you know, we stay on top of the podium. No, no. We share in that, which brings us to our second point. Not only, number one, do we deny self. Secondly, we have got to learn to carry our cross. We, we have to. You need to. I need to carry your cross. For some reason, the whole, the whole cross... The, the image, the symbol of it has been, and it, and it kind of continues to be, kind of like in. The cross is almost like hip and cool. It's in vogue. You take what you, you, you pound a little white cross in front of your lawn, and, and everyone who drives by can see the little white cross, and you just live however you want. That's, wait a minute. We see crosses everywhere, hanging around people's neck, on bracelets, hanging from rearview mirrors, crosses tattooed on people, bumper stickers, crosses are everywhere. There's nothing wrong with having a cross as long as it's, 
It's not just a fashion statement. That's not the idea. That's not the identity. A cross is what? A cross is a means of execution. The Roman, the Roman had actually boasted and bragged. They had worked literally for years to come up with a means, with a form to execute people in the most horrific and painful way that by nailing them, it was able to sustain their life in great periods of agony before they eventually expire. The, the, the Romans intended for the cross to be cruel, not cool. And we have like this hip, hot symbol and Jesus, what? If you recall in verse 31, he uses these words. He says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. He never mentioned anything about the cross. We knew that he's looking forward. Now we know that. But there was no mention of the cross. This is the very first time, the very first time that he kind of draws what? His listeners, his learners, his followers and our attention to the subject of the cross. And he says, what, you're to take up your cross. What does that mean? It means to identify with Christ in suffering and death. We hear this, like, my, my, I'm just really shy, and, and my shyness is my cross to bear. No, it's not. Shyness is often just pride don't want to look bad in front of others. That's what shyness is. No, no, no. I have really bad asthma, and it, it just prevents me from really doing... That's not your cross to bear. My aching back, I have poor eyesight. That is not your cross to bear. So we want the clarity of Scripture. Instead, what it means to choose to follow Christ and deny self, which means what? You're going to live according to Christ and not according to the rest of this world, then guess what's going to happen? You will feel the weight of the cross. It will press heavy on you. Is this hard? You, you better believe it. Do, do we at times seem to buckle under the weights? If you recall, after Jesus was beaten, whipped, and, and scourged, we see this in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and Luke 23. We see exactly the same story that he, in a sense, was what had the cross, the, the cross, put on him. And, and he was to carry the cross to this place, what? The place of the skull, Golgotha. But, but what happened is that, and we're not told how long or how far he carried it, but he only carried it so far and he was what? He had, been, he had been beat so bad physically, he was unable to carry the weight of the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh of man, which means he's not just completely God, he's completely man, which he what? He knows everything that, that we know. He feels everything. It, it says this in Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In a sense, we have a picture here that Jesus is fully human. 
and as he what expires in strength as he is laying on this cold stone blood soaked road it says that Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry his cross now do you think that God was up there and he's like well I kind of miscalculated the weight of the cross I didn't realize they were going to use that kind of wood that's heavier than we thought do you, think, do you think that God missed this detail somehow? Wow, that was a lot more. I, I misjudged the number of lashings. I didn't realize that the guy whipping him was so strong. Do you think God miscalculated, misread? That was a lot more blood loss than I had initially expected. And now what's going to happen? No, it was part of the plan that God had, what, someone positioned to assist carry that just like he positions himself to give to us every single means of strength to carry the bear the full weight of the cross we we deny self we carry our cross thirdly we're to be willing to die now it's not like um, a figurative here this is literal be willing to die it's I, I think it's, I think it's impossible to say yeah yeah I'm in I'm in count me in. I am a follower of Jesus. I want to deny self. I want to take up my cross as long as, long as it doesn't hurt. Remember, younger kids won't remember this. Remember Gary Larson and the far side? I think he's like the greatest cartoonist ever. He was just so sarcastic. Remember one particular cartoon and it's in the, 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 the um, galley of a, of a Roman kind of ship, the way that they rode, and there's all these muscly guys in there and rowing. And you see all these muscly guys in rowing. There's like one skinny guy. He's like, Excuse me, I've got a splinter here. And and I I kind of feel like that. You know, like, Excuse me, I'm ready to follow, Lord. But you know, I I just really don't like splinters. Anything but splinters. Like, how soft I am, how soft we are. And yet, Jesus talks about the fact that that we have to be willing to go to the extent. Now, does it mean that you will end up being thrown to the lions to be torn apart? No, not necessarily. But you need to be willing to do that. Do you realize that tomorrow, October the 31st, we will celebrate what? Not... Not trunk or treat. I mean, that's cool. Bring your, bring your candy. Tomorrow, October the 31st, we will celebrate 499 years since the what? The start of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nails the 95 Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. In a sense, what is he doing? He is defying the known authority of the day, the Roman Catholic Church, the powerful Roman Catholic Church. And he says, no, 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 I, I see salvation by faith alone. And, and he defies enlists. Mary, Mary is not a co-redemptrix. The Pope is not a co-equal of Christ. You don't have to confess your sins to a priest in, in order to be forgiven. And and he lists them, the selling of indulgences for forgiveness. No, it's wrong. And so he lists these. He pounds them on the church door. He is, in a sense, what? Saying, I am willing. He is almost inviting. 
And he lived a number of years. And he was threatened and intimidated and chased and hunted. Literally, we know there were hundreds of martyrs that died as a result. Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, and William Tyndale, and Thomas More, and John Rogers, Latimer, and Ridley burned at the stake. Some of them were quartered, cut in pieces, and their, the, 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 the arms like sent out because Martin Luther took a stance. And guess what happened to Martin Luther? He dies at 62 years old, lying in his bed with his family gathered around him with warm towels keeping his head comfortable. Was he willing? He certainly was willing. Ultimately, what? All of life is in God's hands. And we have to know that and trust that and we rest in the great hope and promise that Christ offers whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's. And we live such cozy, comfortable, bubble-wrapped lives. Excuse me, I, I got a splinter here. Like, I don't like that. No, no. Fourthly and finally, we are to be unashamed of Christ and his word. We are to be unashamed of Christ and his word. It says in verse 37, forever, Jesus is speaking, forever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. 2,000 years ago, this was an adulterous and sinful generation. Think about the description today. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes. Jesus, in a sense, closes this text with a what? A reminder that we are to live with a ferocious boldness, that there is no backing down, there's no backing away when it comes to taking a stand for Christ, with Christ and the word of Christ, which is what? Which is this word, which means we're to carry it with us. We're not ashamed of this. We're to speak about this to others. We have an amazing message of good news. Philip, our brother, has worked for seven years learning the language just to say, because I have something that you need to hear. Most of us wouldn't stay on that project for seven hours. Sad to say. What? We're, we're to memorize it. We're to talk about it to others. We're to study it. We're to feed on it. We're to obey it in every way. Realize what it means to be unashamed. It means to be not restrained by embarrassment. It means to be open. It means to be unconcealed, unabashed. I love that. I remember I met a kid and he was carrying his, his Bible on top of his stack of books at school. I'm like, man, I said, that's pretty cool. I said, kids give you a hard time, Dad? He goes, every day. Make fun of me every day. He said, but that's what it means. That's what I am called to do as a follower of Jesus. This is a kid in high school who just rocked my thinking. That's boldness. That's a ferocious boldness. We do this. Why? Because of what we know to be true. Christ will come. Christ is coming. And we're more concerned about Sunday afternoon football. Christ is coming. Look what it says. It says, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, and we look forward to that, and we long for that. Even in the midst of the world, it says, you don't have to worry about that. No, no, and when he comes, you don't want him being ashamed of us because we were ashamed of him. 
No, when we see that, we're part, we want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be called as his own. Last verse concludes, it says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until the kingdom of God, after it has come with power. Someone suggests that the, the, the thinking here was that the current generation, those listeners, were not going to pass away until he returned to earth. I don't really think that he's saying that. The whole, the whole church has cherished this text long after the death of Jesus' generation. I know Jesus meant something else. They, they knew that Jesus is saying what? His kingdom began in weakness. It began what? In human flesh that goes to the cross and dies but that's not the end of the story. That's, that's not the way it's going to end. Instead, they would see what? They would understand the full weight and the power that exists in his kingdom. James Edwards, in his commentary, The Gospel According to Mark, suggests that the power is the resurrection of Jesus, certainly something we continue to celebrate. D.A. Carson suggests that it is the power of the local church as it grows and multiplies in impact and influence. And I thought even this week as I was introduced to people that you are building relationships with, it continues to have impact. Why? We have a message here that has to be told. It has to be told. It has to be told. It has nothing to do with what we want, what I want. It's all about his kingdom for his glory. There is, there is what? A time where it will be unmatched and unmeasured victory from anything we could ever see or know. And so we ask, we ask are, are we following? We're to listen to the Holy Spirit at this very moment. Are we denying self? Taking all of our little shiny things and setting them and saying, no, Lord, it's all you. Are, are we carrying the cross, identifying with his suffering and shame? Are we willing, literally willing, I will go anywhere and I will do anything that God calls me to? Are we unashamed? C.S. Lewis says this in his classic work, Mere Christianity. He says, give up yourself. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have is really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. May we understand the importance of following as the hardest but the greatest thing that we could ever do. Father, we need your strength to give us the ability to be obedient. We need you to give us the, the means to be faithful. God bless each person here. Help us to follow in a way that you delight in, that brings you glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.
you stand with us, please, as we close?